Hey guys, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all here. Please keep your Bibles over to Ruth chapter 4 as we, as we finish up this short but brilliant little book. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father God, I pray as we look at your word this morning that you'll be speaking to us through it, wherever we're at with you. And so, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the year has started for, mo- for most of us. We've finished our holidays and it's back to the grind. It, is, uh, it seems like there's going to be endless emails, endless meetings, and you've got to wonder whether, you know, in the thick of, of everything, do you really matter? I mean, think about it at your company. If um, you drop dead today, and I hope you don't, by the way, wouldn't they just replace you? If you got fired, maybe the same. So in our world, how do we know we actually matter? How do you know that you actually matter? So, see, the thing is, I think you know, today we, we are striving to actually matter. We are trying to find ways that show us and the world that we matter. Some of us, we, we go after achievement or fame or status, or money to show us that we matter. I remember a number of years ago, I've told this story before, but I was back in Moree a number of years ago, and I caught up with a friend of mine. And he, a friend of mine from school, and at school, he wasn't one of these guys that you just look at and you go, man, this person is going somewhere. He's the kind of guy that, that, that you go, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen with his life. But we were, we were hanging out with a bunch of friends, and I said, oh, so what, what are you doing to yourself? And he goes, I'm the CEO of a multi-state company. And I was like, wow, this guy's made it. This is amazing. And he goes, oh, you know, I've got a big meeting tomorrow. I've got to go home. It's a Friday night. I've got to go home and um, I've got to get my sleep because it's a big, big meeting. And then I was talking to some other friends. I said, oh, what about this guy, you know? CEO of a multi-state company. And they all laughed. And I was like, why are you laughing? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got a lawn mowing business. And what he does is once a month he goes over the border to Queensland to a place called Gundawindi and mows some lawns up there. And so technically he is the CEO of a multi-state company, but he's just got a lawn mowing business. And I was going away from that and going, well, why couldn't he just tell me he's a, he mows lawns for a living? That's, that's a fine job, right? But he had to say something a lot more than that because I dare say he was going, how do I actually show hands that I matter? How do you matter? Do you really matter? Have you ever thought about that? See, because we're looking today at at two people. In fact, the whole book of Ruth is about two people that really shouldn't matter. Ruth and Naomi, really, there's so many people throughout history, millions, if not billions of people like Ruth and Naomi, that, that haven't, their lives haven't been written down. And if there was any, any two people that really didn't matter in their day, it's Ruth and Naomi. But what, what we're going to see is actually their life mattered because God redeemed their life. God was working in and through their life And we're going to see actually the same God that was working in and through their life is the same God that is working in and through your life. 
And that's why it matters. We're going to see God actually redeem three things today as we look at this passage. We're going to see that God redeems a name, a widow, and a nation. God redeems a name, a widow, and a nation. Let's have a look at the first point. But if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks... Um, we've been looking at the, the, the book of Ruth. It's a very, very easy book to read. It'll take you about an hour to read max, you know, if you're a slow reader. It's a story about one woman, Naomi, who loses pretty much everything. She loses her, her husband and her two sons. And yet, one of the husband's wives, Ruth, decide to go with her back to Bethlehem. And it's the way that God has provided for them. And we're going to see the culmination of that. Let's have a look as as God redeems a name. And you're probably going, well, what's the significance of God redeeming a name? We'll see. Have a look at verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went and sat down. If you remember last week, Ruth did this really risky thing and basically said, hey, Boaz, you are part of the family. You're meant to redeem me. I want you to marry me. He said, yes, but I've got to go to a a person who is part of our family, who's a close relative to you, and to see if he wants to do that. He should marry you. And so that's what he does. He goes to this guy who's a guardian redeemer. And Boaz is sitting at, at... at the town gate where all the big things happened. And just as as he's sitting there, that guardian redeemer redeemer comes. But did you see how in verse 1, sorry, verse 2, it says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. The interesting thing about the original is that it doesn't have the words, my friend. It has these two words that are kind of weird words. They're two words that rhyme, but they actually don't mean anything. But if you know the language, they mean something. It's a bit like the two words helter-skelter or riff-raff. Two words that don't actually mean anything on their own. You put them together, you know what helter-skelter means, riff-raff. When you come to these two words, it's actually what the writer is saying, Mr. So-and-so. He hasn't got a name, just Mr. So-and-so. Now, we're going to come back to why he, he isn't named, but, but have a look what happens. Have a look at verse 3 with me. Boaz took ten elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling this piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do it. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it. He said, here is the the kind of court proceedings of the day. And Boaz is totally in control. He is taking the lead at this point. And he says, hey, you're meant to redeem this land. You're meant to redeem this land. If you don't want to do it, I will. The whole point is he was meant to take this land. and, and, And if there's no other people in the family, he is now meant to use this land for himself. But if there are people in the family, he is meant to use this land for a time and then 
in the future actually give it back to them at a year called Jubilee. Every few years that was meant to happen. But he says, okay, I'm going to redeem it. Then Boaz puts a wrinkle in the plan. Have a look at verse 5 with me. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property. Now, now you're probably going, well, why would, why would uh, Boaz just put that kind of clause in? It's like he's signed the contract. Oh, by the way, let's put another clause in. But what you've got to realize is Bethlehem's not a big place. And we read in chapter 1, verse 19, that when Naomi and Ruth came back, everyone in Bethlehem knew about it. There was a big consternation, right? And so this guy knows that this is, this is part of the deal. He's just being reminded. Now, what you've got to realize is that this is actually not a cheap thing. He's going to take land which may or may not produce crops. And with that land, he's got to now feed a widow. He's got to marry Ruth and, you know, basically be the father to any offspring. And that offspring will not be his. Because in Israelite law, his, he, the whole idea was any child that comes from Ruth's future you know, marriage was going to be her first husband's. It was his name that was going to be kind of taken on into the future. And so this is actually a risky financial situation. But also, because Ruth was a Moabite, this guy could be thinking, man, I'm not sure I want to actually be married to a Moabite. And so this is what he says in verse 6. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Did you see what he says? I, I can't do it. You know why? Because if I, if I bring this on, this is a risky financial situation. I cannot care for these two poor widows. Even though I'm part of the family, I'm not going to do it. You do it. And verse 7, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired... Ruth, the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Notice what Boaz says. He, he, he's saying, hey, you guys are witnesses. He says that twice. But notice how many words he devotes to the, the name. It, it, he's not caring about the the acquiring of land here, he is thinking about the two widows, but also the name of the deceased going forward. He is not thinking about this in financial terms. He knows that this is a huge risk financially, and he does it anyway. And he says, hey, that, that you guys are witnesses in the future. Now, you're probably going, why the sandal? It's just a bit weird, isn't it, right? So, see, this is a pre-literate culture. There, there wouldn't be a, you know, a, a form to sign or anything. The whole point is, in the future, if someone 
says, hey, is this your land? I thought this land was this guy's. You could go, actually, it is my land. I've got the sandal to prove it. It's that kind of idea. Now, did you notice as we look at this this passage that all the way through, there's the word name, 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 name. Boaz is concerned for the name of the family to keep going. And yet there's this guy who's Mr. So-and-so who's got no name. And yet we see that idea of the name goes on. Have a look at verse 11. Then the elders and all the people at the gates said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. You have stand, may you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. The, through your offspring, the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore Judah. He, they mention a bunch of famous births in the Old Testament. And, and, and notice how they name those names. The, the implication is, may you have a name like this. May God work through you like this. See, God through this passage is redeeming a name. Now you're probably going, what, what does redeeming a name mean? Or why the importance of names? Can I just say, I actually think names are hugely important, especially today. Especially today. Don't we all want to make a name for ourselves? Aren't we doing things so that people will remember our name? I, I googled uh, yesterday how to make a name for yourself. And there were dozens upon dozens upon dozens of blogs that tell you how to make a name for yourself. Here's one of them. This is 11 ways to make a name for yourself in your field from govloop.com. Ready? You want to make a name for yourself? Here's what you do. First of all, what you've got to do is connect with other influencers in your field. Do you know your influencers? Go and connect with them. Second of all, write a book. That's what you've got to do. Write a book. Then you've got to volunteer to speak in an event. Then you've got to host an event. Then you've got to write articles for journals then get, get written about in journals, which you can't really control, but that's what you've got to do. Write a blog. You can do that. No one reads blogs, but write one anyway. Published on LinkedIn. You can be one of those annoying people that do that, right? And then what you've got to do, interview other experts in your field for a vlog or podcast. Then you've got to get involved on industry websites and get on social media. That sounds like a lot of work just to make a name, doesn't it? And yet, we live in a world where it seems like we want to make a name. There was another one that said, if you want to be an influencer, here are the steps to being an influencer, how to, how to kind of use your, your base and everything on, on YouTube and Instagram, all this kind of stuff. Why? Because we want to make a name for ourselves. But if you have a look at the text, which person actually has got a name that, that the text remembers? It's not Mr. So-and-so. But it's Boaz. See, in the Bible, the people who actually make a name for themselves, a good name for themselves, are the people that love. Mr. So-and-so was only thinking about himself. He may have had a name in Bethlehem, but Boaz cared for Ruth and Naomi. 
See, I, I wonder what name you're actually going for. Mr. So-and-so was thinking about him and his estate. Boaz was thinking about Ruth and Naomi and their deceased husbands. I wonder if you are thinking, well, I want to make a name for myself in the kingdom. Well, if you want to do that, love and serve without seeking any fame. Think about others. So you may write a blog and be an influence and everything, but no, one, no one's going to care in a thousand years' time or even a thousand days' time. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that you can serve people in love and in a million years' time, people will still be praising God for your service of Him. Do you want a temporal name or an eternal name? Well, love others just like Jesus loved you. And that's how you're going to have a name. A name that goes on. God redeems a name in verses 1 to 12, but he also redeems a widow. Have a look at verse 13 with me. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Notice how Ruth goes from being a foreigner to being a, the lowest servant in 2.13, to, to, to being a, a servant in 3.9, and now she is a wife. And when he made love to her, that is Boaz, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. She had 10 years of infertility, and God has changed that in an instant. God is working in this woman's life. The women said to Naomi, Praise to the Lord, who this day has not left you excuse me, without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Everyone is praising Naomi and saying, hey, hey, see what God has done. God has, has given you. This, this grandson. And did you notice, he is going to renew your life. The life that you thought was over is now renewed. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed means great servant or servant. What's really interesting is... If you track Naomi's life, she goes from the pit of despair to now, you can get the picture that she is a very contented grandmother. You can imagine her just sitting around with little Obed on her knee. God has totally transformed her life in very, very significant ways. But what I want you to do is I want you to flip back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Remember, if you've been here with us the last few weeks, remember what she said, verse, chapter 1, verse 20. She says, uh, after everything goes wrong, don't call me, sorry, don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very, very bitter. She is saying, my life is defined by what has happened. I am angry. I am bitter. You know the beautiful thing, if you have a look at the book of Ruth, no one calls her Mara. 
No one calls her Mara. No one calls her bitter. No one says, yeah, I agree, your life is terrible. Guess what? I am going to, uh, to just go, yeah, your life's terrible. I'm going to agree, and that's it. No, all the way through the book of Ruth, what happens is God works through her life to redeem it. Naomi's life is now defined not by the terrible things that, that had happened, but the fact that God had redeemed her. God had transformed her life. See, in chapter 1, she wants to be a perpetual victim of her circumstances. And yet God transforms it. The point that I think Ruth is making is, don't focus on the pain that you're in. Don't be defined by it. Because God is doing far more in your life than that pain. Now, in saying this, I am not saying for one second that your pain is irrelevant to God. I am not saying that your pain is nothing. But I think one of the things that can happen to us, and I've been there too, is that we're in pain and all that we can see is our pain. And what we want is a church just to go, yeah, I get your pain. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. Now, don't get me wrong. We need people to sympathize and empathize with us. But actually, I think Ruth shows that God is actually working in our lives, even despite our pain. And so what we need when we're going through pain is not just people who are going to go, hey, that's really hard, but to actually help us see that, that God is still good through it, that we have still got hope through it. And if you are going through pain right now, what you've got to fight to do is to fight to see that God is still good, that he's still working in your life. And can I just say, that is so hard. I'm not saying that's easy. It's very easy for me to say. It's hard to do. But that's why church is so important. Because you've got a bunch of people who love you, who want to remind you about Jesus. That's why... That's one of the reasons why we sing, right? Because as, as we sing, we, we don't sing because we've got great voices, right? You know, if you heard me sing, you wouldn't believe in Jesus, I tell people, because my voice is that bad, right? What we sing so we remind each other through singing of who God is and what he has done. I remember an, a few years ago, I was in the depths of depression, and I can remember just being here. I, I, I was at the point where I just couldn't sing. The, the, the words were there and, and I knew them, but I just, it felt wrong for me to sing, right? But you know what I loved about coming here is that everyone was singing around me, right? And let me tell you, not many of you guys have got great voices, right? But here's why I love the fact that you sung really out of tune. I didn't care. I loved it because your voices were reminding me of what God had done. And in my pain, I needed that. Because I needed to get out of just focusing on my pain and focus on the God who redeems me, who has redeemed me in Jesus, who is, who is working through my life, even though, through, even though I'm in pain. And one day, he will wipe away every single tear. If you are in pain now, I do not want to discount that or discredit it. But what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the God who has redeemed you, 
was walking with you through that pain? Or are you focusing on being defined by the pain itself? But maybe you're here and going, well, well man, hands, it's very easy for you to say. Because, man, like, doesn't Naomi get a happy ending? I mean, yeah, she lost her husband, she lost her two sons, but now she's got another son in Boaz, and she's got a grandson in Obed, she's got a, got a daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is better than seven sons, she, she's hit the jackpot. Where's my happy ending? One of the things I've, I've got to tell you that I cannot stand in life are chick flicks. I just do not Sorry, if you're judging me, judge away. Uh, They're they're just so predictable. They're not like action movies where you don't know what's going to happen, right? That's a joke, by the way, right? Chick flicks, I remember going to this, uh, going to a a chick flick about, you know, 37 dresses or something like that, and um, it was 27 dresses, I know, right? Yeah, but I I went with uh, my girlfriend at the time, and uh, I, I sat down, and it was a packed theatre, and I, and I counted the guys. There were five guys, including me, the rest girls. And in the, in the first scene, I said, I said to my girlfriend at the time, hey, they're going to get married. And I said it a bit too loud. And the whole, basically, theatre turned around and looked at me really strongly. And uh, one, of the, one of the women said... You reckoned the whole movie, and I was like, "No, no, I'm not. You know, you know what's going to happen, right? Because in every chick flick, it seems like you know, guy meets girl, guy kind of rescues girl, and then guy does something wrong because it's always the guy's fault, and then he apologizes, and then they get back together, and you know, happily ever after, right? And we can watch those movies and go, "What about my happily ever after? What about my friend who seems to have?" their life as a happily ever after. What about mine? Naomi seems to have her happily ever after and I'm in the midst of pain. We've got to realise that our happily ever after is not in this life. Our happily ever after is when Jesus comes back and he wipes away every tear. See, what you've got to realise is that no matter... If you look at look at Ruth and Naomi and you go, Naomi got her happily ever after. Guess what? That happily ever ever after is nothing compared to the happily ever after that you're going to get. When when Jesus wipes away every tear, you're going to go, all that pain was worth it for this. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about that heaven's going to work work its way through our lives so that you'll be able to look back on on all your pain that you've gone through and see it, it was for a glory that heaven is going to transform your pain, that you're going to go, yeah, I get it. I know what God was doing. So don't look to your happily ever after on this life. Look to it where the Bible says you should look to it, where Jesus is going to come back and wipe away every tear. See, the beautiful thing we see is... is, God here in this passage redeems a widow. And finally, let's have a look at the last point. God redeems a nation. I wonder if you find when you read the Bible, do you skip over all the genealogies? Well, maybe you shouldn't because they're some of the most exciting things in the Bible. And this one is no different. Have a look at verse 18 with me. 
This then is the family line of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. They put this genealogy here to say, do you realize what God is doing in, in and through Ruth and Naomi's life? God was not just redeeming a name. God was not just redeeming a widow. God was redeeming a nation. And because King David is the king that is in the line of Jesus, God was redeeming the world. Think about it. If, if, If there was no famine in Ruth chapter 1, then they wouldn't have gone to Moab if, if, if um, Naomi's family didn't die, then you know, Ruth wouldn't have been married to Boaz. If no marriage to Boaz happens, no Obed. If there's no Obed, there's no Jesse. If there's no Jesse, there's no David. And on and on and there's no Jesus. Do you see how this little insignificant, these two insignificant ladies are eternally significant. And, and I dare say when we get to heaven, you know, if you run up to Naomi and go, do you realize what God did through your story and through everything? God was redeeming the whole world. She would go, I didn't see that. I didn't see any of that. And here's why we don't see it. We don't see it because we are just focused on where we're at right now. Naomi in chapter 1 was just focused on her pain. God doesn't just work in the hours and minutes and days and months and maybe even years we think of. God works through generations. And what he is doing in your life, I dare say, is setting up not just tomorrow, but 200 years from now. You, you, You see... We, we have a look at our lives and we go, man, I haven't achieved any of my dreams. It doesn't really matter. My life doesn't really matter. I, I mean, I, ran, I was in Moree visiting my mum, having a working holiday over this last week, and I ran into a mate and who, who could have been a world-class cyclist. And for various reasons, that didn't work out. And yet, what is he doing? He is serving his family and his church and the Christians in Moray. And God is working through him to do eternally significant things. So you think, man, what am I doing? I'm just going to work. My, my dreams are gone behind me. I'm just going to work at a, a, a terrible job or, or a nice job or whatever job you're going to, right? I, I come home and I've got kids and I'm trying my best to, to read the Bible with them and that kind of thing and be a good parent, that kind of thing. I've got some friends, but I'm really tired. I, I serve at church and, 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 and I do that. It doesn't feel like I'm doing much. Can I just say, what is God doing through it all? He's working through your story. And Ruth and the whole Bible show that your faithfulness, as small as it is, as insignificant as it feels, 
can have amazing repercussions down the line. Two or three hundred years or more down the line. You don't know what God is going to do through your faithfulness. Maybe you raise your children. You do the hard work of reading your Bible and praying with your children uh, you know, every day or as much as you can. You, you come, you bring them to church, you serve, and they grow up and they marry, marry someone who follows Jesus and they have kids. And, and they do the same thing and then a couple of generations of that. Then there's the next Billy Graham who sees a flood of people come to know Jesus in his time. And why did that happen? That happened because you decided to live a normal Christian life of being faithful to your spouse, of being faithful to your church and being faithful to the Lord Jesus. See, God is working through the ordinariness of your life to do amazing things. The question is, are you going to continue to be faithful? But the beautiful thing at the end of Ruth is that, that God has redeemed the world through this little story, through these little people. So, so it's set in the time, Ruth is set in the time of judges where there is no king, but Ruth points to the greatest king of Israel, King David. And King David points ahead of himself to the greatest king, the Lord Jesus himself who died on the cross to redeem not just little old Ruth or Naomi or Boaz or Israel, but redeemed you and redeemed me. The question for us is, are we going to trust him through the ups and downs of our lives and trust him that he's still working in and through our normal, ordinary lives? And if we do, we're going to see actually our life really mattered, not because that everyone knows our name, but because we have worked for the only thing that really matters, and that is God's glory that stretches out into eternity. Are you working for the things that matter? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage which shows that you are the God who redeems Widows, you are the God that redeems fallen nations. You are the, the God that redeems normal people. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, Lord, I pray that we would not be discouraged by the pain that we're seeing in our lives or feeling. Lord, help us to trust in you, knowing that just as you work through Naomi's life, you are working through ours. Lord, help us to be the kind of community that, is not, that does not shy away from those of us who are struggling with pain, but walks with us through that pain and points us to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you take our normal, mundane, everyday faithfulness and you're able to do amazing things through that faithfulness. Help us to be faithful to you. But Lord, thank you for the fact that Ruth points beyond just a few things that happened 3,000 odd years ago. It points to a great king, the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus, who redeemed us from our sin, 
Help us to live for him and trust in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.